Good morning. Uh, it's a, it's really a pleasure for me to get a chance to speak with you on a Sunday morning, and it's and it's an honor for me to guide us through unpacking God's Word together. So so thank you for for your time. Um, for those of you I haven't met, my name's Martin Larocca, and I'm one of the elders here. Um, and so we uh, we've been rotating through some preaching. Um, I don't know about you all exactly, um, but I've felt a general vibe of uneasiness as we've kicked off this new year. I know we, we came into the new year very hopeful, um, but I've, I've felt an uneasiness um, just generally. I think especially given kind of the historic nature of this political season and, and the violence of the capital and, and the unrest and, and changing administrations, it, it's kind of hard not to be a little shaken up, right? Um, and beyond the state of our government and, you know, these like the strain of like maybe having a political conversation with, with you know, a friend or family, we're still doing church online. Our, our kid, a lot of our kids are still in virtual school. You know, COVID-19 has not gone away. And, and that's only the foundation for us to build the rest of our anxieties and troubles on right now. Amen. There, um, there, there's just, there's the rest of life that's happening and, and each of us are, are facing different challenges right now. Um, we have heartache, we have exhaustion. So there's a lot going on. I, I bring this up not to be a downer, but rather because this is where we are. Um, and the circumstances of our society and our, and our lives might be pushing us or forcing us, right? And, and it causes us to drift in all kinds of direction. It's, I, and I mean, there have been times this year where I've coped with all these stress, stresses by just like acting like everything is normal. Oh, I'm just on Zoom now at church. My default now, even, even for writing this message, was like, okay, let's just dive right in. Let's get into the scripture, start unpacking it. But... I was hearing from God that it might be good to just level for a second and get real. We're enduring some stuff right now. Some, sometimes really well and faithfully. Sometimes it's kind of an ugly mess. Um, I just want you to know and, and tell you that I love you. I care deeply about you, as do all the leaders in this church body. And I know that you love one another. Uh, it's awesome. and It's a beautiful thing to, to be a part of and come alongside each other uh, in this in this season. So let's praise God for that. And since we cannot be honest with each other about that, um, I invite you to, as you hear the message this morning, be, be vulnerable with me, be vulnerable with the Lord, and acknowledge that things some things are hard right now. Um, you may feel uneasy. You may feel like you're drowning. Lay those things before the Lord this morning. And let us, your church family, come alongside you um, with prayer. Uh, we'll save some time for this, of course, when we go back into music. But I do want to encourage you right now um, to, if, if there's any prayer requests you need, um, text the word Wayside Prayer, all one word, to 94000 uh, or 94000, uh, Wayside Prayer. And yeah guys, we're just, we're just in a lot right now. So, so I just invite you to do that. Um, don't hesitate. Uh, we would love to come alongside you and, and pray. Um, 
today and, and throughout the week. So church, as we dive into today's passage, we must remember a few things. That, that this letter was written to a group of people who also, they were in the thick of it. They were, they were facing persecution, being ostracized by their formerly tight-knit Jewish community, facing opposition from the government. To that audience, this sermon letter was written. And Ben put it so well when he said that this letter was written to exhort Christians by exalting Christ. This letter was written to exhort Christians by exalting Christ. These last few weeks in chapter one have been sweet. I mean, to be reminded and lift high the mighty and saving name of Jesus. Amen. And today we receive exhortation, correction, guidance. Uh, here's what you can expect. It's, it's a bit uncomfortable. It pushes us to reflect in the best way, uh, take a look at our lives. And it, and it might feel kind of unfair to do that when life is just hard right now. Am I right? But church, this is God's word. This message was delivered to folks who honestly had it much harder than we do. And yet exhortation, correction, guidance from this sermon letter are loving and good and it's the best thing for them. So my prayer is that it may actually be entirely encouraging for this body, for this church, for us. Um, pray with me real quick that, that God may use this time and message for his will. Father God, we come before you today humbly. Um, God, use, uh, use my words um, and prepare my words, Lord. Um, prepare our hearts to receive your message um, and to respond to it faithfully. God, we love you and we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Okay, here we go. Let's dive in. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, if you're not already there in your Bible. Uh, also, heads up, I realize um, I'm going to reread this like maybe 15 times. So uh, hopefully you have it memorized by the end of, by the, end of uh, the sermon today. Here we go. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. That's verse one. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For this reason. Okay, wait, what reason? Well, everything we just covered in chapter one. So let's rewind. Two weeks ago, Kevin helped us answer the question, who is Jesus? He is the radiance of God's glory, his exact imprint. In the fewest words possible, Jesus is God. Last week, John reviewed the rest of chapter one, outlining seven ways that Jesus is better than angels. And remember, angels are powerful beings who are messengers from God himself. Yet Jesus is God, so his message is straight from the source. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. And what is it that we have heard? All right, let's go back. Hebrews 1, 3, turn the page back um, and, and quickly read. And he is, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory, God's glory, the exact imprint of his representation, of the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification of sins, 
he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What we have heard is the gospel of Jesus as Savior who purified sins and the implications on our life. So we have heard that Jesus is God, that he made purification of sins. He sits at the right hand of the Father. Plus, we've heard his words and commands for our lives. We, what must we do then? Uh, what, you know, what does the passage say here? What must we do? Pay much closer attention. And why should we pay closer attention? So that we do not drift. So that we do not drift away from it. And what what is this? What is this drifting? Hang with me, guys. Sorry, I'm doing all the who, what, when, where, why's here. What does it mean to drift away from the good news of Jesus? Well, the the word drift here is is best kind of described in the way it's utilized as, as a ship missing its harbor. Right. And there's an implication to this kind of drifting that it's it's from carelessness, negligence, uh, not paying close attention, gliding right past your destination, right past the goal, the prize, merely because you were distracted. It wasn't your main focus. You were not paying close attention. Church, we carelessly drift and miss the best that Jesus offers. So pay close attention and live. Jesus says um, in John 15, Remain in me and I in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up and they gather them and throw them into a fire and they're all burned. In John 10, 10, he says, uh, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. Church, pay close attention. Abundant life that bears fruit is promised. We carelessly drift and miss the best that Jesus offers. So pay close attention and live. If we hope hope to not carelessly drift with our salvation, we must give the gospel, the message of salvation, our attention. We must give it our attention and the attention we give must be significant. And guys, a quick note, I've been saying pay attention over and over again. And and I just want to remind everybody, pay attention doesn't mean like, hey, you nodding off in the back, like, look up. Like, can you can you hear me? It It's not just let these words get decoded in your brain. It's a committed whole self effort of, of observing. And we're going to see this in the, in the scripture as well. Um, Elena reminded me that when she teaches kids how to pay attention, practice paying attention, how to listen. It means use your ears to hear the word. Your mouth is quiet. Your eyes look at the speaker. Your hands are in your lap or taking notes. Let your heart engage with the emotions being communicated and so on. It is an active whole self effort to be paying attention, to be listening. So our attention must be on the gospel. 
when it comes to paying attention to the gospel, there are two things that need to happen. One, to pay attention, we must hear the words of the gospel and of Jesus. To pay attention, we must observe our own actions. So let's take a moment now to be reminded of the gospel and to be reminded of how Jesus directs us to respond and participate. Ephesians 2.1 reads, and, and you were dead in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them we too all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, we are his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. That's powerful. That's Ephesians chapter 2. Colossians 1 uh, reads similarly to the opening of Hebrews. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And although you were previously alienated and hostile in attitude, engaged in evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister... All right, one more passage here. and These are the words of Jesus you'll see in Mark uh, chapter 8. And calling, to the crowd, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's and the gospel's sake will save it. Church, this is the message we have heard. Pay attention to it. You were dead, alienated, bound as a slave to sin and death, but God did something about it. In an abundance of love, he poured himself out in the person of Jesus, who rose from death to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Hallelujah. Amen. Right, church? 
This is, this is everything we praise God for. And it is Jesus who tells us that when we lay down our lives for his sake, we will save our lives and if, in fact experience it abundantly within God's will. Okay, so our attention must be on the gospel. And that means hear the gospel message, hear the words of Jesus, take them in. Pay attention also means observe your actions. Throughout the scripture, we see calls to listen, to hear. And the thing about listening, hearing, paying attention is that we never just, it's never just audibly and taking words, you know, sounds into your ears. It's about taking the message and acting upon it, letting it take root in your heart, your mind, your soul, so that it pours out as you interact with the world. Um, I want you to consider the Shema. Uh, it's a prayer that is likely recited by this audience, by the group in this letter. They're, they're likely reciting it on a daily basis. And the word Shema literally means listen, hear. Um, hear, O Israel, pay attention, right? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So hearing, hearing, hearing. Now, acting. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be frontlets between your eyes, the lens through which you see the world. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So if we're to pay attention to this great gospel, We must pay attention not only to the words, letting the words in, but to actively respond in action. To pay attention, uh, to allow the words to to marinate in your heart and guide all of your actions. Church, I, I need to confess to you that I am guilty of this. Just like the author of Hebrews here says, we need to pay attention so that we do not drift away. I have not always paid close attention to my actions reflecting the gospel, particularly in COVID times. Um, I was telling my discipleship group on Thursday morning, you know, these check-ins and updates we have. Last year, it was not uncommon for me to talk about my coworkers or people in my office that I had just met. The small talk we would have at lunch or, or by the coffee stations that would lead to spiritual conversations, conversations about family um, and what's going on in their lives and and we could I could offer prayer or care for them and in many ways I was I was so used to this format it became very natural to connect with people and share where my hope is um, to extend the love of God through prayer and and care for them and conversation and being known um, and having someone know them you know additionally my commute was this somewhat sacred time Every day I would spend between 30 minutes an hour, often more, um, thanks to traffic, right? Listening to scripture or some of my favorite podcasts from Bible Project or John Piper. Talking to God as I faced a day of work or as I returned back home with my family. Um, Yet as of late, I have not paid close attention. I'm not having the same depth of conversation with these coworkers. And, And why? Because... I'm on Zoom instead of sitting in a cafeteria because my commute changed. Apparently, the 
Church, apparently that's all it takes to drift. That's all it takes to drift. I stopped paying attention to the substance of my own message. I haven't taken the same interest in people I call my neighbors because it got just a little bit more difficult. The format changed a little bit. It took a long time to figure out how to, my, how to replace my commute time, and that's still not amazing. Um, yeah, church, our attention must be on the gospel, taking it in, remembering the joy of our salvation. Like Kevin mentioned a few weeks ago, it's like the glorious mountains that took your breath away once, but becomes familiar in the background of your life if we don't pay attention to it. Church, this week, um, spend some time reading the gospel in scripture. Use these passages we just read, Ephesians 2, Colossians 1, and the rest of Hebrews chapter 2. Bring a friend alongside you to do this. You actually don't even have to be sitting next to each other. Elena and I did this uh, this last week through a text exchange, and it was it was uplifting to hear how each passage drew us closer to the Lord in different ways. Read and review the gospel and scripture. If nothing else, read, read the rest of Hebrews chapter 2 over the next two weeks closely and pay attention to it as we prepare for our sermon. Okay, so, so all of this um, is just verse 1. Here we go. Verses 2 through 4 are uh, written to to give an appropriate amount of weight and significance to that exhortation. Um, it, and it's heavy, okay? But it's heavy, but it's an encouragement. Verses two through four show us that our attention must be significant to avoid drifting. Jesus's message is more significant than angelic messages, and Jesus's message is validated by God. Before, um, before we dive back into the reading it, and I'm going to read it over and over again like we did last time, um, here's a little Bible reading tip that will help you as we go through Hebrews. In this next portion, you'll see the author convincing us of the significance of his statements by first making a, a lesser argument, something that's already agreed upon, and then comparing it to something greater for us to contemplate. There is a light, easy-to-absorb point, followed by a heavy, weighty, more significant version for us to meditate on. So look for the light point and the heavy point as we read here, and you'll also notice this as we continue in Hebrews. Okay, we're going to start back from verse 1. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For, and he begins to explain the significance here, if the words spoken through angels proved unalterable, if the words spoken through angels proved unalterable or firm, and every violation and act of disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Jesus, his message is, is more significant than angelic messages. You see, the angel of the Lord spoke to Moses through a burning bush, guided them through the wilderness, enacted the Mosaic covenant, giving them the laws by which the Israelites lived. This angelic message to a Jewish audience is unalterable. It is firm. It, I mean, in the case of the Ten Commandments, it's literally written in stone. This, this is the light point of the argument. Okay, it's, it's the easy point. It's already understood as true and acceptable. 
the angels bring a reliable message, notably through the Mosaic Law. And its violation included just punishment. It is good, justice, true. One famous example I think I think Kevin brought up a couple weeks ago as well is the the procedures for moving the Ark of the Covenant, which was like a hot spot of God's presence and belonged in the center of the tabernacle. In Second Samuel chapter six, um, a, a man named Uzzah did not consider or, or pay close attention to how he should handle it. There were some operating procedures. He made a mistake by placing his hand on it, setting it incorrectly, and he was struck down by God. Jesus, or sorry, Hebrews 2 2 reads If the words spoken through angels proved unalterable and every violation and act of disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So here's the heavy point in this light and heavy argument. Verse 3 there. It is the weight by which we must hear the author's words. If, if Uzzah received uh, just punishment for not following these procedures, how will we escape if we neglect our salvation? So if Uzzah received just punishment for not following operating procedures with the Ark of the Covenant, how will we escape if we neglect so great our salvation in Christ? That gives real weight, significance to our warning passage of drifting, doesn't it? Our attention, it must be significant to avoid drifting. Now, something really, really important for you to know about verse 3. We don't believe that the author is making a, a, a claim about doctrine here, uh, about losing your salvation by neglecting it. Today's warning passage is warning us not to neglect our salvation after it's received. Neglecting is different than altogether rejecting salvation, okay? If you believe in your heart and confess that Jesus is Lord, your salvation is secure. We don't have the time to go into the ins and outs of that today, of, of why, why we um, interpret salvation as secure. But if verse 3 has you doubting that, please grab, um, please grab one of the leaders and, and we can together review why why you can't lose your salvation in Christ. If, if verse 3 makes you uncomfortable and it seems intense or harsh and make you look at your life and wonder if you're taking your salvation that seriously, well, that's the point, right? I'm convinced the author is giving us a message as a grounding reality check. Um, it's similar to what we see in, in the incredibly encouraging love letter to the Philippian church. Let's read that exhortation. So then, my beloved, um, this is kind of another therefore, he made a great case of, of experiencing Christ's love. So then, because of Christ's love, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in the absence in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. Jesus's message is more significant than angelic messages. We must meditate on that. We must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Jesus's message is validated by God. This is the rest of our passage. 
After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Verses 3 and 4 serve as a, as a logical reasoning to trust the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was, it was spoken by Jesus, who is better than angels, right? It was confirmed by eyewitnesses who have dedicated their life to the gospel. And God testifies to it through signs and wondrous miracles and by working through the Holy Spirit imparting gifts. I love passages like this because we have a God who uses logic and reasoning to, to prove himself over and over to us again as faithful. His message is valid and he speaks to us in these logical ways that we need. His message is valid. So what do we do with this? How do we work out salvation with fear and trembling? Well, it's kind of a long-term thing. So you're not going to knock it out this week with the, you know, preparing for our planning meeting, but we must start and we must depend on the strength and guidance of the Holy Spirit to do so. Some things to do, confess your careless drifting and repent with accountability to pay attention. In discipleship groups this week and next, ask one another and ask the group, even ask of the church, are we drifting? Am I paying close enough attention? And if you're not in a discipleship group, your application from today's sermon is to join one and attend consistently so that you may not drift. R. Kent Hughes um, eloquently says this about the warning in chapter 2. That church's experience 2,000 years ago intersects with our lives in this way. Drifting is the besetting sin of our day. Drifting is the besetting sin of our day. And as the metaphor suggests, it is not so much intentional as from unconcern. Christians neglect their anchor, Christ, and begin to quietly drift away. There's no friction, no dramatic sense of departure. But when the winds of trouble come, the things of Christ are left far behind, even out of sight. Let's pray.